For 32 years, John Butler served as executive director of the Delray Beach Open, one of the world's finest professional tennis events, where he delivered unparalleled ROI for fans, sponsors, civic partners, and the game. Today, John serves as president of Butler Consulting. His clients include the Billie Jean King Cup, Delray Beach Pickleball Open, and Timber Tech Golf Championship. Johnny B., Welcome to Down 40 Love. Hey, thank you, Renee. Good to see you, man. It's always good to see you. Tell us, how did your journey in tennis begin? Uh, it, uh, well, that was, um, that was one of those things, you know, where you go to the ballpark with uh, your family. That was uh, going to the tennis courts with my mom and uh, picking up the sport, learning to uh, love it, starting to compete at a young age and... Uh, you know, just loving everything about it, the athletes, you know, being the geek as a kid where you could name every player one to a hundred, the shoes they wear, the rackets they swing and all that good stuff. So, um, yeah, when I was uh, growing up and playing tennis and playing uh, playing at school and uh, a good friend, uh, a good friend's father started the tournament back in the early 90s. And he said, hey, you know what, this is. A little more work than I have uh, time for right now. Do you have some time? And I was like, yeah, sure, why not? Going to school and uh, yeah, well, I've got some time. That was 1991. And uh, we rolled with that for 32 years. Incredible experience to be able to grow from something that I loved, but really knew nothing the business side to really learning on the job as we all did to growing it to one of the you know, top events in the world. So that's the short version. You can break that down. Yeah, so... Where did you grow up specifically? So uh, I'm born and raised in uh, in South Florida. You know, one of the few people that can uh, call themselves a native in uh, Fort Lauderdale and Plantation. Now up here in Palm Beach County and Boca Raton, Delray Beach. So, um, you know, tennis mecca of uh, the United States down here in Southeast Florida. Incredible junior tennis, adult programs, USTA leagues, you know, all over the place. So thriving tennis community. Did you pick up a racket at a young age? Yeah, I was probably about, um, you know, nine or 10 uh, when I when I started playing. And then uh, with, uh, my mom would take me to the courts before school when I was little and uh, then started playing competitively in middle school and then high school and, and uh, played some in college. And that's when I uh, was able to transition into the business side of the sport, which was just unbelievable for me to be able to do. I mean, to be able to, you know, Obviously, I, I had a cap as far as of my my playing career and being able to keep a roof over my head. It really wasn't going to be uh, something any more than a lean to if I if I, if I tried to uh, make a career out of it uh, playing. But to be able to be on the business side of it, I was just, you know, tickled pink to have the opportunity. You know, it's one of those who, you know, kind of things that I that I fell into and I you know thankful for it ever since. So can you tell us a little bit about that first event? I mean, I remember that tournament, I think it was 1993. Am I correct? Was that the first? That yeah, was no? the first big league tournament we had, America's Red Clay Championship in Coral Springs. But before that, we had in 91 and 92, we had two uh, ATP Challenger Tour events, and uh, which is like the AAA to baseball, um, for those who aren't familiar with tennis. And um, again, learning curve from... You know, the very first day, you know, it's uh, the first day of the tournament up and up. And we thought we had everything nailed. We were so excited. We had built this for months and months and months. And the matches were finally going out. I mean, it was everything that we had worked towards. Kind of took that deep breath, like, yes, it's happening. 
And it, that lasted for about 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and so we hear, uh, yeah, this is a chair empire in court too. Can we get the towels out here? Uh, it's court one, <laughs> the towels. Can we get the towels out here, court four? Towels? What are they talking about, towels? Didn't know we had to provide towels. So we're literally hustling up, calling all of our friends, family, neighbors, you name it. They're hustling out towels, bringing towels. We're running them out to the courts. And you look at it, the tennis courts, and there's every possible type of mishmash of towels from Disney World towels to bath towels to, I mean, you name it. It was so funny that uh, that uh, just one of those little learning curves that you didn't expect uh, that, uh, that you thought you knew it. But then you're always faced with reality. So, you know, working with the Baron family, you know, over the course of three decades, yeah. um, you know, you guys really grew the event from one level to the next and you kept getting bigger and better over time. Can you share some secrets of success for, for staying relevant over such a long period of time? Uh, it's, it's, you always have to be innovative. Always, 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 uh, especially in a market like Southeast Florida, where the competition for the entertainment buck is, is not just you know, another tennis tournament or another sporting event. Our competition wasn't the Miami Open or the Lipton, as it was called back then. It was the movies. It was every free art show and crafts festival. It was uh, baseball. It was you name it. You have to be something for everybody. You have to be able to appeal to the senior citizen, to the family, to the children, to the people who just want to go out and have a good time and uh, have a beer and be entertained no matter what it is. So it was really all about uh, innovation for us. And we were, we were very, very fortunate that we were as nimble as we were because the tournament was uh, owned and operated by one individual, by Mark. It wasn't owned by a board or a federation or uh, a group. So yeah, we had a, a pretty creative group so that any time that uh, we had a new idea or something that we thought would be advantageous for the tournament, we literally would walk across the hall and pitch it to Mark or pitch it in a, in a staff meeting. And, you know, nine times out of 10, he was super uh, progressive. He'd be like, yeah, right, let's find a way that we can make this happen. So we were able though, even though, you know, we're just a 250 event, we were able to really create a lot of trend in tennis. Um, that allowed us to be looked at as as a uh, as a leader in how to present the sport, how to be entertainment rather than just tennis. So innovation, I think, was hugely key to our success. So, if you were to share with us your innovation blueprint, maybe two to three keys to being innovative on an annual basis, because you guys held this tournament, you know, once a year. So you're doing all the prep work then you're actually running the event. And I'm sure there's a debriefing process in there when, when all is said and done. What are your secrets for innovation? Well, it's really also, it's just looking at your market. Look at what really taking an honest, uh, you know, analysis of who's coming, who's not coming. Why are people coming? Why are they not coming? And then how do you come to where all that comes together and, uh, and, and build from there. Because like you said, the, the, the self-analysis afterwards is clutch. Um, I believe that there's, you know, 100% that I take more notes on what uh, I feel we can do better or what we can uh, 
find a, a new way to excel at than what we did successfully. Uh, which I think, you know, is, you know, that's what we all do. But I think it's also good if we really do take good notes on what you did do successfully, because a lot of times we just, you know, high five each other. That was great. Unreal. But we're looking at the end result instead of what was the path that got us here? Because that, I think, is really important. How did we get to this net result that we're all high fiving each other about? And sometimes you might forget some of the few key uh, twists and turns in the plot that, that got us there. So. You know, we would look at, um, you know, outside of the sport. You know, I remember one of the, the most recognized elements of uh, innovation was after I went down to have a huge Miami Heat fan and I was able to go down to the Miami Heat uh, stadium and tour and meet the marketing team and the PR team and the media folks and all that stuff. And at the end of this incredible, uh, you know, meeting, you know, I sat down and I said, okay, unreal stuff you guys have so many capabilities here, you know, I have to realistically think about what I can have the ability to tackle. And um, so what is your number one biggest advantage? What would you say if you had to do, uh, of everything they have, what would you do? And they said, without a question, it was the Miami Heat dancers. Wow, the Miami Heat dancers, yeah, because they're the year-round face in the community. They're good with children. They're good with seniors. They can go to a car wash opening. They can do a philanthropic event. They're the year-round face of the Miami Heat with that makes total sense because you can't rely on players. They're all busy honing their craft. So I said, okay, that's cool. Uh, all right, what would number two be? And he said, I'd probably have to say the Miami Heat dancers. Okay, you're seeing a trend, right? And number three, <laughs> the dancers. So they were that important because they were accessible, they were lovable. That could be in the community year round where the uh, where the team played and where they made impact. So what I did immediately when I came back to the tournament is I got with one of my interns and I said, I want you to find five, six, seven of your most adorable, loving, outgoing friends and we're going to form a promo team. So she did. She grabbed her friends and we went to work really quickly, made outfits for everybody. And we just put them out to the community. We called them the volley girls. And they became an instant hit because they were uh, attracted to people who really could care less about tennis. All of a sudden, the Volley Girls became this huge hit, the Dara Beach Up and Volley Girls. And they ended up with literally having a tour of appearances, where they were going to be, radio shows they were going to be on. Uh, they were working with sponsors who were having business openings. So it really endeared the tournament outside of tennis. And it was a great lesson that I learned from the Miami Heat. And uh, it was something that the ATP tour looked at and went, never thought of that. That's amazing. More tournaments, please do that. You know, follow that train of thought. Get outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, I, I love that. It reminds me of the principle of leverage, you know, finding that one thing that's going to make the biggest impact. And for the Miami Heat, it was the, it was the dancers. They, they understood their one thing. And then you were able to um, creatively apply their strategy to to your plan uh, up in Del Rey with with a lot of success. Let's pivot to um, the world of professional tennis. What's the state of the game today in John Butler's eyes? Uh, the state of the game to me is, I mean, it's never been more right. Um, it is an amazing sport as it relates to just pure athleticism. It's an amazing sport as it relates to um, just 
mankind, what people are capable of doing as an individual once they've been educated and then they go out and perform a craft. Um, I, I think there's no sport in the world that mirrors real life like that. So I think the opportunity to, uh, to relate to people in tennis and outside of tennis, uh, inside of athletics and outside of athletics, there's nothing like it. Uh, where I think we can be doing a better job is, is, is packaging the sport in a way that is going to continue nurturing and growing itself. Um, you know, right now, you know, there's a lot going on in tennis. Um, you have a men's tour, you have a women's tour, you've got four grand slams, you have ITF. So there's a lot of different moving parts, you know. So, um, you know, it's no secret that aggregation of this sport coming together form one tennis that can be brought to market rather than use seven different franchises, I think is crucial uh, in order for the tournament in order for tennis to be able to, to gather its biggest buck. But I really believe that people are missing the point when it comes to what the focus should be. And that to me is athlete development. Uh, if you look at what big leagues do, the big profit uh, earning leagues, one of the, uh, the key components to them is managing their pipeline, cultivating their talent. You know, they bring every athlete up to be the best that it can be so that they can sell the most jerseys with their name on it. They can sell the most tickets and beers. They can get the biggest media rights because they're creating storylines about these athletes and they're, you know, they're, 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 they're building their product. Tennis, they don't. They just, uh, they just have this beanstalk of a ranking system and tournaments and, you know, they really hope for the best. It comes down to luck that, you know, we've had, uh, you know, the golden era with the big three, big four, Serena, Venus, and now you have Carlos Alcaraz and Yannick Sinner. But professional tennis itself hasn't done much to bring these talents to life. I believe if we were able to really take charge of that, a number of amazing athletes that could help us grow new markets, that can help us... Um, you know, fill more stadiums, get bigger media rights. I mean, there's incredible talent out there that just literally can't, they had to stop because they run out of money, they run out of energy, they run out of emotional uh, uh, content. So I believe taking control of that, that athlete pipeline is super, super important. And um, that, that to me is the number one goal. And of course there's, you have to fund that. So that's, a, that's another mechanism that we can discuss, but really that athlete pipeline controlling it, it's key. And from a big picture perspective, would you agree that the biggest gap in professional tennis in terms of the growth of the game is marketing and sales? Well, it really is because, I mean, uh, it, that's a huge part of it because when you look at tennis from a consumer standpoint, from a viewer standpoint, it's, it's so all over the place. Um, you know, for instance, some people might not even care how all over the place it is. They don't realize how all over the place it is, but a fan you know, with the different level of events and and um, the lack of ability to create storyline. Storyline is the number one uh, element and component when it comes to marketing, to really connecting fans and brands and athletes and brands and athletes and fans. Uh, there, there are better ways to do that than what tennis is, is currently doing. And so yeah, the marketing and the ability to market, the marketing operation, um, there's a lot of opportunity there. So if you were head of an organization called Global Tennis. What would be uh, the three areas that you would focus on going forward over the next three to five years? Well, the number one is the athlete development, like I mentioned. But in order to uh, to make that happen, that's 
dollars. So uh, I would prioritize the packaging of tennis so that we could put our best products uh, forward in the marketplace. Right now, the uh, the billions and billions of dollars that are being spent out there and the amount of um, you know athlete investment, VC investment, um, wealth and pension fund investment into sports is it's staggering. It's we've never seen this. And tennis, unfortunately, their product is uh, very much in a secondary market compared to what else is out there, whether it be, you know, baseball, football, basketball, India, Premier League, cricket, and these other sports, these emerging uh, markets. Um, it would be packaging the sports so that you can have your best product, your most sellable product at the top. That being combined men and women, the top 56 players in the world playing in a specific 15 tier one events plus the four majors. Um, you know, that gives you the opportunity to uh, every event know that you've got your best chance to see one verse two, three verse four, create rivalries, storylines. You can go into a season now as a broadcast partner, knowing who your 56 men and 56 women are going to be. And you can build out in advance what your media opportunities are. Um, you know, and again, that's key for fans to be able to follow. Uh, knowing who the athletes are, you can really delve a lot more into the world of fantasy gaming, you know, much like, uh, you know, you and your buddies, me and my buddies, we, uh, you know, you get together before each NFL season and you've got your draft. Now think about that with tennis. You actually know that you have these 56 men, these 56 women playing in these tournaments so you can field teams and you can do fantasy gaming, which creates more interest in and outside of tennis. The whole betting world becomes a, a whole other uh, opportunity to, uh, to to really embrace, whereas tennis isn't doing that uh, the way other sports are. It's the number one sport in the world, bet on point by point, and I don't believe we take uh, as good of an advantage of that as we can. So incredible opportunities to really package the sport so it crosses new boundaries, gains more money in order to feed the pipeline. That's the big deal. John, one of the things I love about you, of the many things I love about you, and and some people watching the show or, or listening to the podcast, um, they're familiar with how far we go back, you know, to our to our college days and, and our friendship. Uh, but one of the things I really love about you has been your ability to stay in one place as long as you have, you know, and you know my story just in, in college coaching, you know, sort of the nature of the business, you know, you're so opportunity minded, you know, moving from one state to another and, and looking for that next mountain to climb and to conquer. Um, if you were to go back and give your 21 year old self any career advice, what would that advice look like? Oh, wow. Um, it's a, what a great question. And that's great because it's, it's advice that uh, I wouldn't only just offer my 21 year old self. It would be offering my, <laughs> I'd say, 53-year-old self, gosh, I'm 54 next month, really, what's going on? Um, <laughs> it, it, it's something that I believe that we can always keep learning, keep uh, evaluating where we are, um, what we're capable of, what we want to do, um, and, and, and crushing wherever you are. Um, you know, don't just, you know, leave because there's a shiny new object, but really take advantage of where you are and uh, get everything you can from it, provide everything you can for it, and once you've uh, maximized that opportunity for you and the establishment of the people that you're with, it's okay to move on. It's healthy for everybody. 
and to uh, to keep growing yourself and whoever or wherever you may next uh, end up. Uh, you know, that's the reason that, you know, CEOs of companies are not, you know, jobs for, you know, 20 years. They're there three, five, seven years. They glean everything they can from that experience. They learn everything they can. They impart everything that they can. And then they move on with that new experience and those new capabilities to someplace else where they can help that grow. Uh, so that's what I would uh, tell myself is to be more aware. Uh, being aware of that is, is truly important. That's great advice. John, what would you like your legacy to be? It, 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 it's about creating opportunity. Um, you know, one of something that was always so important to me, uh, something that I enjoyed the most throughout my career is working with uh, interns. You know, young people would come in and they would have all these fresh ideas and uh, a lot of them were so good and so helpful. And then what you're able to do is help structure that energy to help structure those thoughts uh, to not just, uh, okay, here, here's a very, very good ideas. Now, how do we really, what would it take to execute that compared to what the potential goal is? So I think uh, I, I, I've had a really good experience with uh, my interns and being able to uh, have a legacy of uh, allowing people to find paths, paths to where they become better whether it be something immediately or it's a thought process that helps them throughout the rest of their career. If I can uh, be a continuing positive influence to them, uh, that's, that's very good for me. John, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to be with us on the down 40 love podcast. Uh, I mean, you're an amazing guy. You're a great friend. And I really appreciate your passion, you know, for the sport of tennis and your enthusiasm for life in general um it's really inspiring and i can't wait to see what the next chapter it is out there for you that you write it's going to be really truly exciting i appreciate that and i appreciate the help you you've been uh, able to been able to provide for me these last few months and over a course of a long friendship i appreciate it you're the man thanks john thank you